Hi everybody, this is Ben and this is Ben's Week in Medical School, sharing knowledge about the human body and glimpses into life in medical school. This podcast is for your entertainment and education. I do my best to present accurate information, but this podcast is not professional medical advice. The podcast is a personal project and does not represent the views of my medical school. Welcome back. This is episode 202, and I just finished week 50 of medical school. We are learning about the lungs, chronic lung diseases like COPD, emphysema, and asthma, and also upper respiratory infections and lower respiratory infections like the common cold and pneumonia. I'm going to talk about the week, and I have a few interesting mini topics to mention, so let's get started. First off, I'm recording from a new studio, so to speak, meaning I moved into a new studio apartment last week. That, combined with having a few projects that all came due and a totally pulmonology-packed week, left me out of breath and unable to record last week. Uh, I'm enjoying this block pretty well. It's a tiny bit lighter on material than some, so I have time to reference some older notes and integrate things we've learned in the past with some current topics. For example, way back in November of 2020, which was something like episode 11 or 12, we were studying lots of bacteria and the antibiotics that treat them. Well, wouldn't you know it that many of those bacteria can live in the nose and the mouth and the lungs and can cause infections there. So now we're relearning a lot of these same pathogens, but this time in the lungs. Uh, And figuring out which drugs work to treat those infections when they're causing bronchitis or pneumonia. I've heard that it takes about seven times hearing some new information for it to stick. So it's good that we keep going over all these medicines and bacteria again and again, and eventually it'll all stick. I have a soft spot for the strange but true side of medicine. And one such story that we learned about recently are the Blue Fugats of Kentucky. They're called Fugats because that's their last name. It's a family whose last name is Fugat, and they're called Blue Fugats because their family had a very high incidence of a really rare condition called methemoglobinemia, which causes your skin to take on a bluish hue. Hemoglobin is what carries most of the oxygen in our blood, and it contributes to that reddish undertone under everyone's skin. Hemoglobin is only nice and bright red when it has oxygen attached, and sometimes the hemoglobin can be disrupted and turn into a close relative called methemoglobin, which doesn't carry oxygen very well and has a different hue. It's purple or blue. So a hematologist went to Kentucky to study this family of blue people and learned that they had a genetically passed disorder that made them have an abnormally large amount of methemoglobin in their body rather than regular hemoglobin. And thus they had a blue hue under their Caucasian colored skin. And so the skin tone change was really dramatic. The condition is recessive. So if both parents had one copy of the gene that would cause this methemoglobinemia, then each of their children would have a one in four chance of being born with full methemoglobinemia and that bluish tinge. And it seems that the gene pool wasn't very diverse and people were having children with members of the extended or not that extended family. 
And thus, this small town in Kentucky had, was a hotspot for blue people. In most people, being blue or bluish is a sign that they're not getting enough oxygen to their, to their skin and to their organs. In people with darker skin tones, it can be less obvious overall, but there are a few places in the body that tend to have less melanin and therefore um, are best places to look for that bluish tinge that could be a sign that someone's not getting enough oxygen. And those are the fingernail beds and the lips and the gums and also the insides of the eyelids. So those are good places to look for cyanosis or bluing, especially because of lack of oxygen. Anyway, the blue Fugats of Kentucky are one example of one of those stories that sounds too strange to be true, but actually is true. This is a bit tangential, but we heard during one of our lectures that the word halitosis was invented as a marketing ploy to sell Listerine mouthwash. And this kind of just jumped out at me. And the idea was that this condition of having bad breath, um, they almost gave it a name so they could market the breath freshening properties of Listerine. So they sort of invented the term chronic halitosis. I actually, I checked out Wikipedia as a dutiful podcaster and medical student to find out if this was the real story. And it turns out that the word halitosis was not coined by the marketing team at Listerine headquarters, but rather by a physician in 1874. This is 45 years before the game-changing Listerine ad campaign. Um, he smushed together the Latin word halitus for breath and the Greek word gnosis for disease and halitosis was born. The term chronic hal halitosis that was used in the Listerine marketing campaign is notable because it invented a market and brought this obscure medical term that not that many people had thought about or cared about into the public consciousness. I'm sure there are other good examples of marketing bringing a medical term into the common parlance and if you think of any, let me know. Our pulmonology professor was very proud to tell us that in healthy adults, the lungs have about a 40% surplus of extra function that's never tapped into. Well, I should say it's only tapped into when you're sick and your lungs can't function as well as they normally should. But the lungs can open and close different airway sections to cause air to route differently and fill different regions of the lungs, or they can cause blood to temporarily move away from less filled air, uh, regions. So when we're running and we're cycling, swimming, dancing for exercise, and we get out of breath and stop to catch our breath, the issue isn't with the lungs, it's actually with the heart. Each of our hearts, depending on age and genes and training, have a maximum output that they can pump in a minute. And our lungs have so much unused capacity, extra space, that even when we're working out our hardest, it's actually the heart that's limiting how much oxygen is getting to our muscles. The heart is kind of like a locomotive pulling boxcars to the lungs to get filled up with oxygen. And there's plenty of oxygen there, but the train can only go so fast. So tons of oxygen from the lungs, but the heart is what's actually limiting how much oxygen moves through your whole system. So for healthy people without specific diseases of the heart or the lungs or the blood vessels or the blood, etc., 
it's the heart, not the lungs, that's holding up the show. So instead of being out of breath, you're really out of beats. Okay, that's it for this week. We talked about the Blue Fugats of Kentucky and the sort of mythological origins of the term halitosis. Next week, I have another week of pulmonology coming up, and it's time for me to get studying. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, If you have any questions about the show or want to make a comment, please send an email to ben at bensweek.com. Thanks to David Funkhauser for the intro and outro music. Have a great week.